Hey there, it's so great to have you here with us today. One Chapel is a family of neighborhood churches in Kyle, and we help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. You can learn more about the things God is doing in this community and how to get involved at onechapel.com. I hope you enjoy this week's message from our Who Am I series. What? Yeah, it's not shocking at all. Um, there have been numerous times in my life where I have failed. I've failed in some relationships. I've, I've failed at jobs. I've failed at dreams and visions that I have. I've, I've failed in friendships. Like I, I could look back over the course of my 44 years, and, and I've failed numerous times. You're probably the same way. In fact, if you look around our culture, you can kind of tell everybody has done this a time or two. And the reason I know it is because I can look around at our culture, and I, everywhere I look, you see it. If you search hashtag fail on Instagram, there's 10 million posts there. 10 million posts. If you look around the internet a little bit more, you're going to see stuff like there's, a, there's a group called Fail Army. Anybody familiar with the Fail Army? They just post videos of people failing all day long, and it's fabulous. <laughs> we like to watch it. Um, there's such thing in our culture as the Pinterest fail. People fail, they look at Pinterest and say, oh, I could do that, and they certainly cannot. How many of you can relate? <laughs> yeah, that's brave enough, okay. Uh, we see failure all around, and if you just do a, a, just a tiny internet search, you're going to find it. In fact, I just saw one here, and, I, and if you've got a smartphone at all, you probably have already seen this, but I just thought it was worth repeating. I just want you to see this fail right here. sickness and in health, and forsaking all others, be faithful to him as long as you both shall live. The rings, please. Okay, so you haven't seen that, apparently. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that, I, I don't know, but that, that, if, you, if, you, if you don't know how to recognize it, that was a fail. That was one right there. That best man probably is not friends with those people anymore. Like, that relationship, it's over. That wedding is probably over. Like, it just, now, actually, if you do a little research on this, you will find out, shockingly, that it was all staged. They staged the whole thing and got a bunch of internet uh, got internet support and attention, and it was a lot of fun. But here's the thing about most of our failures. They're not planned. They're not intentional. They happen at the very worst times when we don't want them to. So today, we want to talk a little bit about failure. Most of you know that we're in this series, and we're calling it Who Am I? And what we're trying to figure it out is, who are we supposed to be? What is God's original design for me? As a human, what am I supposed to be? Who am I supposed to be? Not what culture says I'm supposed to be. Not what my emotions say that I'm supposed to be. Not what my thoughts say that I'm supposed to be. Or my family has said I'm supposed to be. What is it that God has said I am supposed to be? Who did he create me to be? And I don't think we're really honest about how often we ask this question. Like especially dudes. Dudes are like, um, I'm, I'm confident and secure tough guy, and we'd like to put on that facade, but, but I think all of us, through the ups and downs of life, 
we are all asking this question through the years. I'm 44 years old, and there are many moments in my life, even still, where I say, who am I as a 44-year-old midlife crisis? And the answer to this question is not introspective. You're not going to find it by going deep down inside and searching your soul and figuring it out. You're not going to find it by wandering the self-help aisle in your local bookstore and trying to figure out how to find some help there. This is a question that can only be answered by looking to the one who created you. And I promise you that's true. The only place where you're going to establish the real answer to this is by looking at the one who created you. That's God himself. Over the past few weeks, we've looked at several Bible characters. We've looked at Moses. We've looked at Saul. We've looked at Ruth. Uh, and today, we're going to look at a major, another major character in the New Testament. And this guy is an awesome mess. And his name is Peter. And Peter, we're going to pick up with him in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. Here it goes. It says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Come on, somebody. <laughs> so I think most of us, if we're honest, we can kind of relate to Peter. Uh, we, we get Peter. Peter, he's just a fisherman. He's kind of a regular guy, and Jesus comes walking along. He sees Peter, and he says, hey, I want you to come follow me. And so Peter does. He becomes part of Jesus' inner circle. And Peter's an interesting guy because Peter, he's a doer. Like, he's a get-stuff-done guy. Peter is also a bit of a talker. He likes to talk a lot. Anybody relate? Don't raise your hand. Uh, he likes to say a lot of stuff, and sometimes it gets him in trouble. He's got that, what my principal in school used to call, he's got that uh, foot-in-mouth disease. Every time he opens his mouth, he tends to put his foot in it and say something stupid that he shouldn't be saying. Anybody relate? Don't raise your hands. It's like the time when the disciples, they're in a boat headed to uh, Gennesaret, and suddenly a huge storm hit, and impetuous Peter, he wants to do something about it. So Matthew 14, 25, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. I love how nonchalant the Bible is about this. Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied. Tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me! Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Oh, you of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Impetuous Peter, he walks on water. This is an amazing moment. Nobody else gets out of the boat. Only one guy says, oh, Lord, if that's you, let me come on out to you. And so Peter has the guts to get out. Yeah, he looked around at the wind and the waves, and he got scared, and he started to sink. But don't let that cloud the fact that Peter was the only guy that gets out of the boat, and he actually walks on water. Peter is highly praised by Jesus, but he also gets corrected by Jesus. Which brings us back to Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? So Jesus is there in this region, Caesarea Philippi. It's a very dark region. 
pantheism, lots of worship of other gods. And Jesus, he steps into that dark place, as he does still today, and he asks this question, who do you say that I am? And Peter replies in verse 16, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus says in verse 17, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. In other words, ding, 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 Peter, you got it right. Good job, man. Nailed it. Great job, Peter. And you can kind of see it, can't you? You can see Peter, because this is a massive success. You can kind of see Peter looking around at the other disciples. <laughs> uh, did you guys hear that? I don't know if you heard that, but he said, blessed are you, Simon. I don't know if you heard it. Did you hear it? I can repeat. Did you hear it? You can see him sitting around the fire over the next weeks, you know. Hey, you guys remember when Jesus asked, hey, who, who do you say I am? And I was all like, oh, I don't know, like the Messiah, Son of the Living God. And he was all like, oh, you nailed it, Peter. You guys remember that? And they're all like, shut up, Peter. It's a massive win for him. He gets it right. Nobody else does. Peter gets it right. But notice that Jesus says why Peter gets the answer right. In verse 17, this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. You didn't make this up. Nobody told you about this. This was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. And this is the problem when we come to trying to figure out who we really are. Because most of us just perform some kind of intellectual ascent to try to figure out who we are. We're just making it, it's just kind of a cerebral exercise. So we take personality tests. We take strengths finders tests. We take, uh, we take birth order analyses trying to figure out who we, well, I'm the firstborn, and so I, I'm not a firstborn, I was a thirdborn, and then a sixthborn, so I'm awesome. There's a divorce in there, in case you were confused. Is he born again? Is that what he meant? No. No, I just, I was, yeah, I was a divorce and remarried. So, so, I'm, so I'm the baby. I'm the baby, and we're way better than firstborns, but whatever. Uh, it's, for, it's, for another, it's for another topic, it's for another, it's another conversation. Or you dive headlong into the Enneagram. Uh, Monday nights is going through the Enneagram right now, and some of you are like, the what? And you don't care. And others of you are like, let's talk about that for the rest of the sermon time. Uh, can you even be a Christian and not study the Enneagram? I'm not sure today in today's culture, but the answer to that is yes. Um, obviously, there's nothing wrong with taking these tests. They're good, and they're helpful. They really do help you kind of figure some things out. They give you insight. But what makes all the difference in the world is you receiving revelation from God himself about who you are. The Holy Spirit revealing something to you. It's a revelation that only comes from the Holy Spirit. It's not a word that we use that often. A revelation. It just means a reveal. Somebody else has to show you who you are. And the Holy Spirit is the only one who can do that. Who you are. Who God created you to be. And what God has called you to do. So for Peter, this is a big moment. He gets the answer right. He taps into the revelation of the Holy Spirit. And actually, he starts finding out in the process who he really is. In verse 18, I tell you, you're Peter. And on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. It's a big deal. It's a great moment. It's a win for Peter. But less than a year later, Peter goes from hero to zero. <laughs> This guy who knows that he knows that he knows who Jesus is and knows then who he is himself. A year later, he fails, and he fails hard. And he actually denies Jesus three times. And ultimately, in the process, he denies who he is himself. Luke twenty-two fifty-four. Then seizing him, Jesus, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance, 
And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him and seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. <laughs> I love that. Woman, <laughs> I don't know him, he said. The guy who got the right answer a year earlier. The guy who knew it a year later. He knew who Jesus was. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. And he figured out who he was. Now he's standing there saying to a servant God, I don't, I don't know him. I don't know him. 22, verse 58. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you, you also are one of them. Man, I am not. I am not, Peter replied. Do you see it? Peter's who am I statement, it's changing dramatically. This is the same guy that Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18 in the message. He said, and now I'm going to tell you who you really are. You really are. You're Peter. You're a rock. And this is the rock on which I will put together my church. A church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. And now Peter is just denying who Jesus is. And also denying who Peter is. Luke 22, 59. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he's a Galilean. And Peter replied, man, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking... The rooster crowed. Peter denies Jesus three times. It's already so bad. This is already such a bad scenario. It's a bad scenario. I mean, just put yourself in Peter's shoes. How were you feeling at this moment? And then it goes from bad to worse. In verse 61, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. What a gut punch. I mean, this, this, is, this is more disappointing than your parents looking at you as a child and saying, like, this is worse than that. Have you ever betrayed a friend and, and, and disappointed a friend and they look at you with that, that sad look? Or your kids, you do something and disappoint your kids and they give you the puppy dog eyes? This is way worse than any of that. Jesus looks directly at Peter, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the one Peter proclaimed to be the Messiah. He looks straight at Peter. The one who was his savior, the one who he had spent time with and developed close relationships with, he looks straight into Peter's eyes. Verse 61, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter, and then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside, and he wept bitterly. Many of you know that feeling right there. That anguish that Peter was feeling. That emotion that comes when you fail at something. The pain that comes with it. You let somebody down. You let a friend down. You let a spouse down. You let your kids down. And you're thinking to yourself, I, I am never going to get past this. Like this, this is my outcome. The, the world that I've been living in is broken. It's over. I won't overcome this. I'm not going to get out of this. This is now going to be who I am for the foreseeable future. The people around me, my friends, my family, they're going to look at me and they're never going to see me the same way again. Many of you know what that feels like. You're such a failure. Such a failure. When that happens to us, what do we do? When that happens, when that goes down in our lives, the question for us is, who am I then? When I failed, who am I? What kind of failure are you facing right now? What circumstance are you navigating currently? 
trying to find your way out of? What failure have you experienced? And now you're not just experiencing the emotion that comes along with it, but you're also trying to figure out just the practical consequences and implications of all that's happened in your life. The truth is, when you face failure, it challenges your identity. When you fail, it challenges your core identity. It challenges who you really are. And the reality is, everybody, all of us are going to fail. Probably many times in the course of our lives, we're going to experience failures. And for some of us, we're going we're to fail many, 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 many times. Like, you will fail. Welcome to church, everybody. Just wanted to encourage you a little bit. You're going to fail. For some of us, we're going to have really difficult biographies. Like this politician. At 22, he failed in business. At 23, he was defeated for state legislature. At 24, he failed in business again. At 25, he was elected to legislature. At 26, his fiance died. At 27, he had a nervous breakdown. At 29, he was defeated for Speaker of the House. At 31, he was defeated for elector. At 41, his young son died. At 46, he was defeated for U.S. Senate. At 47, he was defeated for Vice President. At 49, he was defeated in the Senate. Again! The story's the worst. This is a terrible story, isn't it? Like, you hear a story like this, and you're just thinking, bro, bro, give up. Like, just quit. Like, no, nobody likes you. <laughs> People are rejecting you. This is not working. Do something else with your life. And then at the age of 51, this politician was elected president of the United States. Does anybody know who this guy is? Abraham Lincoln. That's right. Some of us are going to have biographies that are like that. Hey, everybody, you're going to fail. Just smile and be happy about it. But how you respond to each failure has massive imp implications for your life. Massive implications on you becoming who you were created to be. So today, some of you are facing really, really difficult circumstances. You made a bad decision at work, and it's cost you. And now you're trying to dig your way out. You made a bad decision with your marriage, and it's cost you. And you're paying dearly for it. And now you're looking at a divorce or a separation. Maybe you found somebody online and you made a decision that you shouldn't have. And now it's affecting you and costing you family, relationships, friends, children. Maybe you got into a heated argument and you said things to your friends or coworkers that you wished you hadn't. And now it's costing you and it seems like you've lost your friends. And now the question is, how do you respond to failure? How do you handle failure in a healthy way? Because we're all going to experience it from time to time. So what I've realized through the years is failure can distort your identity or it can clarify your identity. Failure can distort your identity. Oh, I, I'm a failure. I'm an idiot. I'm a loser. This is who I'm going to be for the foreseeable future until the end of days. Your identity has been distorted or it can clarify your identity. No, that's not who I am. I made a mistake. That's not who I am. So I want to give you three things, three ways for you to respond when you find yourself in a failure. Here we go. The first one is just what I said. Disconnect your identity or your failure from your identity. Disconnect your failure from your identity. Yes, you made a mistake. It was bad, but you're not a mistake. Yes, you failed at something, but you are not a failure. God has an incredible plan and purpose for your life. What the enemy wants is he wants to trap you in that moment of failure. 
What he wants to do is essentially pull out a Polaroid, snap a picture, hand it to you, and say, does anybody know what a Polaroid is? <laughs> I'm 44 years old, man. He wants to snap you and DM it to you right away. No, that'll go away in 24 hours. He wants to permanently show you this is who you are. You will never, ever get out of this. This is you. See this? This moment, this is you. And it's not. That's you in a moment. God never looks at you that way. He always sees something else. We'll get there in a minute. But the enemy wants to trap you in this space and cause you to think, I will always be a failure. It's locked into your identity, and you'll never move past it. When I was a young youth pastor in Colorado, uh, most of you know the situation there, and we had a major scandal, and then a year later we had a shooting, and it was a horrendous season of ministry, and it was really, really hard. And try being the youth pastor at a church where there was a drugs and sex scandal with the senior pastor, and then there was a shooting that killed two high school girls a year later. That's a challenging place to try to be a pastor to teenagers. Because parents look and go, yeah, you're not going there. Right? Or teenagers go, oh, yeah, I'm not stepping foot in that place. That, cra- that place is crazy. And so we, we survived for quite a while. We were working, we were ministering, and we were pressing through. It was hard, but God was faithful. And everybody kind of rallied in that first year, and we can do it, and we're all together. And then that cry started to falter a little bit. And people started to leave the church. Families left. Teenagers left. And I have, I, I, I lose hundreds of teenagers in the course of a year, year and a half. Hundreds of teenagers that used to come and hang out and we were family with and we pastored and, and, and it's just shrinking. And I remember being in my bedroom on the floor with Maria saying, hey, it's all right. What's wrong with you? Are you, are you? And me in tears just saying, I'm a failure. I'm a failure. I can't resurrect it. I can't change it. I can't help it. All these kids are gone and I'm, I'm a failure. And the reality was, I didn't even do anything. It had nothing to do with who I was. But it was ingrained in me. You are failing. And what it took for me was it took a miracle from God. That pastor and that church, they gave us a sabbatical, six weeks. Said, you can't come in for six weeks. Get out of here. Go get healthy. Go on a vacation. And in the first week of that sabbatical, God knew exactly what he was doing because I couldn't perform, I couldn't work, I couldn't do anything. He just reached deep into my heart and yanked that identity thing out. This, you, are not, you are not who you are as a pastor. You are not who you are as a youth pastor. The, the size of your ministry has no bearing on who you are. You are my son, and that's what defines you. Thank you for that smattering of applause. I thought it was better than that. <laughs> Because it transformed my life forever. And though I might have bouts with performance and things like that, I know that's not who I am. So when I experience a failure, that's all right. I'm going to get up and go again. Because my failure is not me. I can disconnect it from my identity. And if you will ask God, he'll be able to do it too. You're not your failure. Separate it. The second thing is, I think it will help you to have a healthy response. If you can find the factors that fuel failure for you. You find those factors that fuel it for you. 
That might be a place where you are often tempted to go. Hey, guess what? If you struggle with alcohol, the place that fuels your failure is the bar. Don't go there. <laughs> I found a place where it fuels failure. I'm not going to go there. There's websites that fuel failure. Stop going there. You know, deep in your heart, there's areas and places and relationships and groups of people that if you go, they fuel failure in your life. Stop going there. Avoid them. Just go somewhere else. Tell somebody about it and go somewhere else. Like, think about Peter. Jesus knew exactly where Peter was headed. Jesus knew that Peter was headed into a trap. He was going to be attempted to deny him. And in the exact same way, God knows where you're headed. And listen, if you will just pause and ask the Holy Spirit, he will help you avoid so many of the big mistakes and failures that are on the way for you. If you'll just pause, like, just practice this. Hey, God, should I do this? <laughs> It's a simple little prayer. And then listen. Oh, I didn't hear anything, so. No. Pause. Wait. Let him speak to you. The Holy Spirit can head off a bunch of that stuff. But I think there's also some general factors that we need to be aware of quickly that fuel failure for us. One of those is emotional pressure. You experience emotional pressure. And today, in our society, everybody's experiencing emotional pressure. Do you want to know how to tell somebody is experiencing emotional pressure in 2019? If they're breathing, they're experiencing emotional pressure. Everybody's overwhelmed. Everybody's overcommitted. Everybody's overscheduled. And everybody is suffering under the weight of it. And when we get like that, overextended, tired, worn out, that's when you have a propensity to click on something that you shouldn't. That's when you have the propensity, when you're tired and worn out, and I just need a break. That's when you spend... Uh, time in front of Netflix for a day and a half, a day and a half. You lose a day and a half in front of Netflix. <laughs> I see you. <laughs> yeah, it's, it all happens when we're tired. It's when you decide to, to connect to some relationship that you shouldn't when you're tired and overextended. You're swiping right when you should just be shutting the phone down. We've got to watch out for this pressure. Watch for it to come. Emotional pressure, if it's not surrendered, it'll lead you into all sorts of, of, of uh, failure. The second thing is willful disobedience. Look, everybody makes mistakes. Everybody does things. Everybody misses it from time to time. So being ignorant and making a mistake, that's different than being willfully disobedient and saying no. I don't care what you have to say. I don't care what you want to do with my life. I'm not going your way. And honestly, some of us find ourselves in that predicament today. I think Jesus today... He came looking for you, if that's you, because he spoke it to Heather. Some of us, he's knocking, and the door is kind of open, and we're like, oh, yeah, no thanks, I gave it the office. If you're experiencing that today, there's good news. Jesus came for you. He came looking for you. And then the third one is circumstances beyond our control. Look, we just live in a fallen world. Things are just rough, so people are going to make decisions, and they're going to affect you, and it'll lead you to failure. Right? Governments are going to make decisions, and it's going to lead you to failure. Employers are going to make decisions. It's going to affect you and could potentially lead you to failure. Sometimes we don't have control over all that stuff, and so the question becomes, what do we do? What do we do when we fail? And this is real. It's real because some of you are facing it right now in this room today, a massive failure. Circumstances that are devastating in your life. You're carrying guilt and remorse from some things that you've done. 
And actually what you're thinking is, if the people sitted, sitting next to me, if they knew, if they knew what I, was, what I had done, if they knew the failure, I don't even know if they'd like me. I don't, even, I don't even know if they'd sit here with me. How do you get back some hope? How do you get hope? How do you get back on track? How do you deal with this kind of stuff? How do you not get defined by your failures? What do you do? I think you do the final thing. You, you realize that Jesus sees. And he's working toward the best version of you. Jesus sees you. And he's working toward the very best version of you. It's so important that you understand that Jesus sees you. Like he sees exactly where you're at. But he also sees where you can go. He sees where you are today. But he also sees where you can end up. That he's got a purpose and a plan for you. He sees both of those. And there's nothing in your life that he doesn't see. And there's nothing in your life that can prevent you, if you'll surrender, to getting to the space that he's planned out for you. He's working on making you the who that he's called you to be. That's what Jesus did with Peter, by the way. Remember when we left Peter, he just denied Jesus three times. Remember, verse 61, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. Peter has a monumental failure. He's a loser, and he gets caught. He gets caught, and he's weeping bitterly over it. Do you know what he did next? Do you know what Peter did next? Oh, yeah. Well, sure, he picked himself up. He pulled up his bootstraps. I don't even know what that means. He pulled himself up by his bootstraps, and he went out there, and he lived the American dream. You know, that's, that's what we think. That's what culture and Hollywood tells us that, that we should do. But what Peter did, he just went back to fishing. Peter went back to his old life. He went back to the old person that he used to be. And honestly, everybody, I see this thing over and over and over again. You experience failure, and you just run back to your old life. You experience failure, and you just run back to the old friends. Oh, they just get me. I'll be accepted here. You run back to who you were, and you say, this is my identity. And it's not. Because Jesus still has plans for you. This is what Peter did. He just went back to his old way of life. He thought, this is what I'm defined by. I'm a lowly fisherman, and that's all I'm ever going to be. Do you remember what Jesus said? You're Peter on this rock. I'm going to build my church. And Peter's saying, no, I'm just a lowly fisherman, and that's all I will ever be. He lost it. He lost who he was. But here's what I love about Jesus. Jesus comes running after Peter comes running to him, and he runs after you too. We try to go backwards because of failure. We try to run. We try to get away. We try to retreat, and Jesus just keeps running towards you, just like he does with Peter. And listen, you can't outrun him. He big. <laughs> you can't outrun him. You can't outrun his love for you. In John 21, 1 through 7, we don't have time for the whole thing, but, but halfway through this passage, it says, Early in the morning, Jesus stood there on the shore. Disciples didn't know who it was, and he called out, Friends, have you any fish? No, they said. This is after the resurrection. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. They did. They couldn't haul it in because of the large number of fish. And then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord! As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garments around him for he'd taken it off. Oh, come on, Peter. He, he wrapped the garment around him for he'd taken it off, and he jumps into the water. Peter dives in, 
Jesus comes looking for Peter. Wait a minute. Wait, Peter denied him. Peter said, no, I don't know him. Peter told people, no, I was never with him. That's exactly right. And Jesus still came looking for him. Jesus still showed up, stood up on the shore, calling out and receiving Peter back to himself. This is what Jesus does with Peter. And then if you continue on in this passage, they sit down and, and he says to him, he says, he says, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. He said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Here's what's so great about Jesus' interaction with Peter. As we close, you guys come on up. So it's so great about Jesus' interaction with Peter. He shows up, and what, what do you expect him to say? You think he's going to talk about the denial. Now, Peter, it's a little matter of a denial that we need to talk about. That's what we would do. Well, that's just, that's, that's just right. That's just the thing that we should do. We should take care of it. He didn't talk about Peter's failures. He didn't bring any of it up. He knew that Peter had been carrying all that weight around. He knew that Peter had been weeping bitterly. He knew the pain that Peter had been living in. In essence, what he tells Peter is, look, that's not what I want to talk about. I don't want to talk about any of that old stuff. I want to talk about one thing. And this one thing can break you out of your failure, Peter. This one thing can set you free from what you've been living in, Peter. Do you love me? You know I do. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Because if you love me, my love can come in and saturate your heart to such a degree that my love has the power to move you past any mistake or failure. My love has the ability to take you to the places that I've called you to. That's what Jesus wanted to know from Peter. Do you love me? Not, man, you messed up big, bro. Jesus comes and says, do you love me? And that's what moved Peter. And that's what got his life back on track. And that's the thing that helped him focus on his purpose and his calling. And then a little later, at the day of Pentecost, church is going to start as Peter preaches a sermon. It's amazing. If you're in the midst of failure and you're just trying to figure out, how do I fix this? If you're caught today and trapped and you don't know what to do, I just, I just want to encourage you to do this one thing. Stop today, stop right now, and just ask yourself this question. Where is my love level for Jesus? Where's my love level for Jesus? Where's my willingness to say, here I am. In all my mess, here I am. And then just let his unconditional love for you change your heart. and Move you forward into all that God's called you to be. Why don't you close your eyes for a second. We're going to receive communion in just a moment. But just before we do, I just want to pray for you. Because there's no doubt about it. In this room, some of us are experiencing extreme failure and it's hard. And some of us have been taken off track the purpose and plans that God has called us to. And we've decided, I am my failure. And Jesus is running after you today and he's saying, no, you are not. And he wants to get you back on track today. 
and all that's required, just like he did with Peter. He's showing up in this room today, and all he's saying to you is, he's not saying, well, I can't believe you. Well, why did you? Well, how come you? What he's saying to you today is, do you love me? Do you love me? Because if you love me, because if you run to me instead of away from me, I'll take care of your failure. It's okay. I'll take care of it. I'll help you disconnect that failure from your identity. And I'll help you become who I've destined for you to be. If that's you today and you just need Jesus, why don't you respond in this way? Just say, Jesus, I love you. That's good. Just say it again, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. You know I love you. Come and fill me up. Thanks again for being here with us today. If God is doing something in your life or you're looking for ways to get connected, we want to help. You can find info about groups, teams, and other things happening at onechapel.com welcome. You can subscribe to future messages from One Chapel on your favorite podcast player. And of course, you're invited to services every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11.30. Have a great week.